Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, what's up, Pels fans? Uh, thanks to those of you who are joining us on the Locker Room app today. For those of you who may not know, the Locker Room app is a free and fun opportunity for you to talk to athletes, members of the media, or even open up your own group chats and debate the hottest and latest topics in sports. If there's a crazy buzzer beater, find tons of people who want to react to it instantly in Locker Room. All you got to do is download the free app on your iOS device. I'm so sorry to anyone on an Android. I promise you they are working on that update. You can follow me. You can follow Chris Connor. You can set up your notifications, and then you'll know exactly when we go live. All right, back to the show. You are listening to the Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search the Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another edition of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. And today, of course, we're talking about Dame. But first, we have to celebrate our very own Bird Rights contributor, newly dubbed host of Crunch Time on 103.7. He's also an analyst for ESPNU for Tulane Basketball. Uh, I think today is his first show for 103.7. But most importantly, first place winner of best podcast for Hard in the Paint, according to Louisiana Sports Writer Association, as well as an honorable mention, I think, for his writing, Mr. David Grubb. Congratulations. Uh, so well-deserved. A testament to your analysis, your thoughtfulness, your bravery. You don't shirk away from difficult topics. We were just talking about one uh, before the podcast started. The relationships you've managed to build, uh, your general overall tenacity, your work ethic. Uh, it's it's all led you to this. So many amazing things in just one week. What has this week been like? Well, first, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know what to say after all of that lead-in because I just – it has been, I will say this, it has been a, an incredible, not just this week, but you think about, I think about the last six, seven years when I restarted pursuing all of this um, and just how many people, like that's the thing I thought about most yesterday, sitting next to my daughter in Natchitoches and when they read my name, um, I just thought about everybody. Like I was the last person that I thought about. I thought about all the people who helped get me here and you guys are definitely part of that and um, it's just, it's, it's, it's fantastic because I get to bring so many things to the table, either through conversation or by introducing new people to audiences or, um, just by having fun the way we do. And, and I think it's just, it's an honor to be, to, to be recognized, but I also feel like I have done the work. I feel like I have put in the time and I, and, and that I earned this. And so that's two things. You can be humble and be thankful for winning things, but you can also recognize that you did do the work. And, and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the work that I'm going to continue to do. And, and also to get recognition for something that I did for the bird rights. Um, and it was the piece that I did before the Pelicans went down to um, the bubble and to get honorable mission on that. That's a win for our whole team. And I represent the bird rights in everything that I do uh, because 
I, I don't think anybody disassociates me from this group. And I never disassociate, disassociate myself from the group. So it's an honor for all of us, I think. And, and I'm just happy to be a part of that. And uh, I don't want to diminish or poo-poo Ali Cosell, who, like, what's that guy worth? I mean, do, do we even need to address him in the room? But Ali has built the bird rights from the ground up, the editor-in-chief. And like David said, uh, a win for all of us is is a win for all of us. I don't know what the expression is. Uh, it's early for me. But Ali, to have our website recognized by the Louisiana Sports Writer Association, that's pretty cool, right? Of course it is. But, man, I am just so happy for David. Uh, if you know David... You can't help but love him, and he he represents everything that's good about sports writing to me because he's intelligent. He understands from so many different perspectives on any kind of issue you want to talk about, whether it's a simple, you know, player evaluation to you know a complicated coaching hire, right? Like what we're seeing up in Portland or the one with Dallas and Jason Kidd, and so that's invaluable. And for David to be a part of our group, I. I couldn't be any prouder. He knows that, but we haven't had a chance to hang out or do anything in a really long time. So now we've really got cause for celebration. All right. I have to quickly address a joke since David uh, mentioned Natchitoches. Um, I was with my my buddy who is from Baton Rouge, and he's married to a woman from Britain. And we were driving through Natchitoches. Uh, we were doing a road trip. And we stopped at a Burger King, and she would not believe, for anyone who doesn't know, I think it's spelled Natchitoches, and she would not believe that it was pronounced Natchitoches. So we stopped in a Burger King on our road trip, and, and he legit said to the Burger King person across the counter, will you please tell my wife how you pronounce where we are right now? And the woman said, Burger King. <laughs> 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 it was amazing Beautiful. it was amazing i think i peed my pants a little it was so great anyway um let's move right along uh you all know why we're here we're here to talk about one damian lillard franchise altering superstar first ballot hall of famer i think he's 30 31 years of age we all know about the wildfire that's taking place in Portland right now. Uh, our good friends at Blazer's Edge have written about it far better than we ever could. Uh, and Damian Lillard has been caught in that crossfire. And now Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, a guy we all know is dialed in. He's on the pulse of the NBA athlete. He was in the bubble talking to those guys. We, we know there's validity behind everything he says, and he's very thoughtful in it. He's not an explosive writer who's just going to throw something out there to throw it out. Everything he does is calculated. And he wrote the title of the article, uh, if you haven't seen it, Coaching process, inability to build title contending roster may push Damian Lillard out of Portland. Now, I'm going to start. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll give uh, Grub the honors. You have to start with the Pelicans because when you move superstars like Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, when you get a guy like Zion, you have your, your cornerstone, but you also have all these picks. And the purpose behind having all these picks is to go back all in and try to get that difference maker. Why is this huge for a team like New Orleans, for a, a superstar of this caliber who might potentially mesh so well with Zion to potentially become available? Because, the, like you said, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, when you look around the NBA, how, how many times are there really franchise-altering stars who are on the market potentially. And this is one of those times. And if you're the Pelicans, when you think about the timeline that we always talk about and, and put that in quotation marks, in the NBA, the timeline is right now. So the opportunity to win a championship is always today. So the Pelicans, if you look at it, you say, we can take an MVP level player in Damian Lillard. We could take Zion Williamson, who has the potential to, by next season to be a first or second team, all NBA performer. And if you can flush out those pieces around them, you look around the West and you say, 
We can compete with legitimately anybody with our top two. And it's just about picking those right pieces. So you have to, when that, when the opportunity arises to get this type of player, you have to explore it. You have to put everything on the table and see if you can make that move and then figure out the rest later. Now, Ali, uh, something that we need to talk about as a small market, uh, a team that's been in disarray uh, pretty much for the better part of the 20 years that it's been in New Orleans. New Orleans doesn't acquire these these franchise altering superstars. I think the, the closest one you can probably argue might be Drew Holiday, and maybe you can uh, help catch me up on that. But my concern here is this. Just because these players become available, just because the Pelicans arguably have the best package of anyone in the NBA when you start with Brandon Ingram and the collection of first-round picks they've acquired – all that being said, superstars still have pull over where we land. We know that better than anyone with Anthony Davis. And, of course, James Harden hand-selected Brooklyn to go to. Uh, possibly Philadelphia was in the mix there. But, Ali, talk about the fact that even though the Pelicans arguably have the best array of assets to pull off this deal, why they might not be in the conversation at all. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it by saying it, it's really a, just a superstar league. And what that means to those that don't know is they ultimately get to decide on where they end up. And so even though Damian Lillard still has what three years, I believe on his contract and plus a fourth option or something like that, you, you just not a hundred percent confident that if you were to trade for him, he would be happy. And I just look at James Harden a year ago. I mean, my goodness, he had three years left. I think it was two years in a player option, but he forced himself out of Houston so easily and so quickly and the fact that his top choice was Brooklyn, and then you saw him end up there, and you saw what Houston got in return, I, I don't think it. you have to go much further than seeing that. I mean, but there's been other cases, right? Paul George, um, after that you know, quick stop in OKC, wanted to go to the Clippers, L.A., hook up with Kawhi Leonard. Guess what happened? That's where he ended up. So I just think that if Damian Lillard truly um, forms a bond with somebody um, off the court, or, you know, just has a preference, say he's got a top three teams he wants to end up on, I'm willing to bet money that's where he's going to end up. Now, now before we move over to Grub, I just want to go over Dame's uh, contract extension. He's in the final year of, uh, I want to say, a five-year, $140 million contract. He got $31.6 million this year. Next year, he's getting 39 then 42 and a half, then 45.6. Then in that player option year that Ali addressed in 2024, 2025, he's scheduled to make $49 million. So even though we say it's a three plus one, there is a good to better chance that he does opt into that year. It's hard to imagine that a, a 34-year-old, you know, six-foot-one point guard is going to get anywhere close to that on the open market, even if he is still the player that he is today. Uh, with that being said, Grub, if the Pelicans were to uh, do the unlikely and emerge as the favorite landing spot for, for Dame, what would have to happen? Well, obviously, you're giving away Brandon Ingram because you have to make that salary whole um, and, and, and make it work. And you, I think you have to keep Lonzo Ball in that case so that you have a backcourt. Um, you have your, you have Zion Williamson up front. I don't know what other pieces Portland would want to take. So that, that always becomes the other part of the consideration. But I don't – the salary problem isn't a problem to me if, if, it, if what you're getting is a legitimate chance at the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. If those are legitimate things, then that price is worth it. If you don't feel that, if you're David Griffin or whomever would, would be making that decision – signing off on it, if you don't feel that that's what's the case, then don't make the deal. If you're not willing to do all the things that it takes to give Dame you know, what he wants, which is a winning situation, then don't do it. 
That's the only reason to do it is if you honestly feel you're going to go completely all in for a championship. And that would be the hardest part. But anybody accepting this, getting into the Dame Lillard sweepstakes has to understand that this is an all or nothing proposition. You're either playing for the championship or you're wasting your time. Now, Ali, I, I want to address this before we move on, because obviously the Pelicans would have to give up uh, the farm in order to acquire somebody like Lillard. It's probably going to include Brandon Ingram. It's probably going to include, I, I'd imagine, four first-round picks, maybe. I, I have no idea, honestly. But with that being said, if the Pelicans do move all that and they do re-sign Lonzo Ball, let's say they even bring back Josh Hart. Is that enough? The West is stacked. Let's, I mean, let's go through it right now. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Uh, you've got the Warriors coming back. Clay's uh, argued arguably going to be healthy. I'm not sure. He's coming back from an Achilles and an ACL. But you, you've you still got the Grizzlies. Um, you've got the Mavericks to worry about, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Jazz. These teams aren't going away. How good is a team with Zion, Damian Lillard, Lonzo Ball, and let's say Steven Adams? You've got to think they'd be pretty darn good. And I'm just going to talk about the fact that you've got two of the most dominant players at their positions. Damian Lillard has to be a top three guy in terms of as soon as he gets across half court, he's a threat from anywhere. Playmaking, incredible. Shot making, even that much more so. He's he's in the class by himself with just Trey Young to me and Steph Curry. Um, I know Kevin Durant, Irving, Harden, they're all good. But boy, these these three first guys that I mentioned, they can literally pull up from anywhere. And so, it's by the way, it's kind of cool having a bird chirping in the background. I was going to say, it sounds like he's trying to give his take like Stephen A. Smith on your shoulder. I, I can't tell I if know, he's agreeing. I can only or... say so much before I have to address <laughs> Yeah, I'm sitting poolside, and I think you can hear the chirping birds in the trees behind me. <laughs> well, cool. I'm glad we – yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, Preston, so you add that, right? A guy that can score from anywhere, and boy, I think he must have been the most clutch player in the league this year and has been at least for some time, right? Everybody knows it's Dame time. It's become a thing. Um, how many games he's won, even in the playoffs, just because of his ability to make a shot or two in the final minute of a game. So you add that to the most dominant score inside the paint that we've seen here in the last two years. Well, I don't think you're going to ever have to worry about offense, right? Can you imagine how defenses now have to address it? Because in the past, right, first two years we've seen, especially with point Zion being born, we've seen how teams now basically defend Zion. They make sure that they've got usually three eyes on him. Three bodies ready to just form a wall as soon as he steps inside the paint. Well, now if you've got Dame Lillard, who's going to command probably two guys from pretty much anywhere in the court, right? As soon as he gets open, you're sending SOS help. Boy, all of a sudden, one of these two guys, you've got to feel good chances about them having um, enough of a mismatch to where they can take advantage of their abilities and to score. And so if you surround them with at least anybody that can make an outside shot, make a play. And we know Lonzo, he's a pretty darn good three-point shooter now to where you would feel good with him, 38% or whatever he shot last uh, combined couple of years. And then Josh Hart, you know, he sees a lane. He can take it to the rim. Um, I know Ste- Steven Adams doesn't do you much, but, hey, he just needs to go out there and set some screens to free up Zion and Dame that much more. And suddenly I'm thinking they can score 120 points a night. No, it would be the defense would be the only worrisome part. But, hey, this league's become so offense-oriented, it doesn't really even matter that much to me. So no, I think the Pelicans would for sure be a playoff team. Um, but the question of course is, could they be a top four team and thus a real championship contender? And I'm telling you, I'm not certain. Um, can you imagine just an injury to one of those top two guys and they miss say 15 games or, you know, just the, the depth isn't really there to where 
you know, people, players go through slumps. So I'm not sure, Preston, as per, as presently constructed and based on the players they might be able to bring back or not need to send to Portland, I'm, I'm on the fence on that one. I would say my gut says no. I think to get in the top three or four, you probably need just another reliable piece or two. Let me make the case uh, for New Orleans real quick, Grub, and then and then you give me your thoughts. Dame's mm-hmm. been to the playoffs in, in eight straight years. I want to say, like, I don't know, 11 out of the past 14 seasons or whatever of his career. Uh, for most of it, he's been paired with C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, um, you know, sturdy players, but but not, I, I wouldn't think anybody would LaMarcus consider LaMarcus Aldridge, yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge, that's right, in his, in his younger years. But Dame's never quite had a player with the athleticism of Zion Williamson. Uh, of course, we drooled over the prospect of pairing Dame and Anthony Davis as rookies. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, like 2009, uh, I, I want to think. But he's he's never had this kind of explosive front court player to complement what he does from the perimeter. What could a player like Zion do for Dame? I mean, you think about the pick and rolls. I mean, the pick and roll is the foundation of offense in the league right now. And it has been pretty much for uh, 75 years. But you sit there and you, you put Damian Lillard and Zion Williamson in a pick-and-roll situation, two guys who can both handle the ball, two guys who can both finish at the rim. Dame can pop and shoot. Zion can shoot the 15-footer. We know he can, and he'll be encouraged to do more of that. What do you do? Like Ali said, where do you put your attention defensively in that kind of situation? Because even at 6'7", uh, you know, Zion will go up and get a lob if you give Dame an inch. If Dame gets more than an inch, he can go right to the rim and finish himself, or he can create those shots for Alonzo, or you get the whomever's playing in that corner three spot, you know, waiting for those shots. There's just so many opportunities offensively for that kind of team. And I think what you get beneficially from the roster is when once one guy comes, people are willing to take the cheap veterans are willing to take lesser deals for that one-year run. You may not get a bunch of guys on the back end of the roster who are going to be around two, three years, but you can get complimentary figures. You hope you strike gold with a guy like a, a, a Crowder, um, that, that Phoenix got, Jay Crowder, who you know we advocated for for the Pelicans last season. But that's who you're trying to look for to fill out the rest of the roster. I think New Orleans could be a very good team. All of the teams at the top of the West aren't a player away from being out of it. Look at the Lakers. You know, we saw that. Anthony Davis went down. LeBron went down for extended time. They were down at the, the eighth spot in the playoffs. That could happen with Golden State again. It could happen, we saw, you know, with, with Denver, their whole season changes because Jamal Murray goes down. That can happen to anybody if you've got stars. There aren't enough of them in the league. There's a lot of good players, but there aren't enough enough franchise-type uh, changing players. So if you're the Pelicans and you have two of the top 15 to 20 players in the league on your roster, you're at least in the hunt for a top five spot because I think Dallas is going backwards. They're in chaos there. Um, I think you look at teams, the only one that seems like it's going to have stability, and that's not even a guarantee for next year is Utah because they could lose Mike Conley. They could lose other players on that on that roster. So I think if you're the Pelicans, you're still in a really good position. It's how much are you willing to give up, and is Portland willing to send Damian Lillard to a team in the West? And is Damian willing to, you know, all three of those things. Is da- does Damian even have New Orleans on his radar? So all of the three things have to be managed, but I think if it is, it's a great situation for the Pelicans because I think there is enough fluidity in the West from year to year to make a one or two year sprint to try to get to the top. 
Ali, I want to talk about my chief concern. Uh, we've seen Los Angeles and we've seen Brooklyn, you know, do these all-in trades for James Harden and Anthony Davis. And for the most part, it's worked. Even though James Harden got hurt and Kyrie Irving left, I think we can all agree that had those guys been healthy, it would have worked. They would have won the championship. And Los Angeles, of course, got their championship last year. And they did all of this knowing that it's going to impact their future, that maybe after this run of two to three years of excellence, maybe they start back from the ground up. However, with those teams, they know that they can do that. That. They know that they can attract the free agents. They know that they can rebuild on the fly, even without a bevy of assets, as Brooklyn did in the past. New Orleans maybe can't do that, Ali. We have no history of New Orleans doing that. You need a culture of winning before you can convince free agents to hop on board when you we, when you don't have any assets to build from. So if New Orleans does go all in, they get their perhaps two to three years of excellence. Then after that, they have nothing to draw from any year. How nervous are you about uh, – potentially taking out of your seven years of your Pelicans cupboard? None, zero percent. <laughs> I mean, just look at New Orleans history. You you mentioned earlier at the start of the show, what, 20-year history, right? And where have there's has there been any kind of sustained, sustained success? It's just been a couple blips on the radar. So what are you truly losing out on, in my opinion, for what has been generally a disappointment year after year, right? Way more years of um, just not feeling good about the future of the franchise because the winning has never followed, regardless of the talent they've had on the team. So going all in and getting a player of Damian Lillard's caliber, putting him next to Zion, and like David said, being able to attract probably a lot to fill in whatever holes you have. And if you could land just somebody else as a reliable third guy, all of a sudden you're talking about a run that most franchises have never even had right in their existence. Cause I was just thinking to me, Damian Lillard's top choice if I'm him would be Philadelphia. But then I looked at their history and I was kind of surprised that they've only had three championships kind of spread out. And so when you think about that, somebody that's got an illustrious kind of history, I mean, when you think about Iverson or you think about some of their really good years, <clears throat> What is it at the end, though? Just three championships. So if the Pelicans could say squeeze two, oh, my goodness. I mean, it would just be worth it for one, personally. Like I said, all of a sudden, you're going to go down as easily the best team New Orleans has ever had. But suddenly you have something that you can hang your cap on as a fan of this franchise because they have had nothing, right? Talking about just winning a playoff series does not count for anything in today's league, and that's all they've really gotten. So. No, I would have no trepidation whatsoever about seeing the whole farm sent away and, of course, risking the future and lack of dearth of talent if, say, Dame and Zion left because it wouldn't be that much different from what we experienced year after year, which is you know not even making the playoffs, being disappointed one way or another. Grub, tell me if the Pelicans can beat this offer with, like, let's say Brandon Ingram, Kyra Lewis, I don't know, maybe Jackson Hayes, maybe three or four first-round picks. Can they beat this offer? Sabonis, let's say Karis Levert, and three first-round picks and three pick swaps. That's a hard decision for me to say right off the bat. Um, I would say on paper, I think the Pelicans' deal is better. I think it's a better deal for the um, from that standpoint if you're Portland because – Sure, you have a, a Portland connection with Sabonis, uh, and, you know, Arvidas being a, a hero uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And Karis LeVert is a guy that people love, but you're not selling tickets for those guys. Those are not ticket sellers. You can sell all-star Brandon Ingram, come watch him shoot, 
and score 30 points tonight. You can sell Jackson Hayes running up and down the floor. Look at this. We got this athletic big man to go with Nurkic, and this could be really exciting, this duo up front. You can sell that. I don't think you can sell Karis LeVert and Sabonis, even though as basketball players, we love them both. And there's plenty of reason to love them both. Um, I think it's about what Portland wants to do with its fan base. And what does Chauncey Billups want to do now that he's the head coach? What types of players is he looking for? If he feels like, well, if I get a wing that I can build around in Brandon or Ingram, I think I can have a contender right now, then that's a little bit different. So I think there's a lot of conversation to be had. But on paper, the Pelicans deal is the better deal. All right, Ali, I've, I've got the ticket seller for you. Does the Pelicans, B.I., Kyra Lewis, Jackson Hayes, whatever, and three first-round picks, does it beat this? Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and let's say two first-round picks. Hmm. I would have to... hmm. Man, that is tough. All this is tough because, every, as we know, every scout looks at a player a little bit differently, and therefore every department you know, will rank a player higher. Me personally, I mean, I would have to go with Denver's pick or Denver's um, package because, look, you just hired Chauncey Billups and you signed such a long-term deal when the owner clearly wanted to go with Becky Hammond. So that signals to me that, one, you're trying to appease Dane, but two, I think you want to have a winner. Chauncey didn't agree to come over there and basically start over and have some kind of crazy rebuild. Um so, yeah, you've got to take the option where you feel like it's the better package of winning right off the bat. Jamal Murray, you know, I think he's – I don't know what his career arc is going to be, but he's going to be a multiple-time All-Star. I really believe that. Michael Porter Jr., he's showed so much this year after Murray's ACL injury where you feel pretty comfortable if he's backstays healthy that he's going to be a multiple-time All-Star. And we know scoring is what really – is the name of the game today. And those two guys clearly can put the ball through the hoop. So while Ingram's very good at that as well, you don't have near, you know, the confidence in either Kyra or Jackson Hayes, Nikhil, whoever gets sent up in that package. And let alone those first round picks, we know that that can be, you know, booms or busts. So from that standpoint alone, I just think Portland is going to want to remain a winner, right? They have such a dedicated fan base. They've always tried to win. Portland's never gone the route of some long rebuild. So I just think as long as, you know, that team's in Allen, the Allen family's hands, right? After Paul Allen died now, of course, it's in his wife's hands. But I I just think they're going to always want to have a winner because that's what the fans expect. That's what ownership expects. So they would clearly go with the Denver package. That's just me, though. Now, David, this is something nobody's talking about yet, and I've been saving it for this moment. I'm actually super, super excited about it. We're we're all drooling over Damian Lillard and where he's going to end up. But what we haven't talked about is if Lillard is moved, uh, a fire sale could ensue. And obviously, everybody's been talking about McCollum for Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. But if the Pelicans wanted to become players for C.J. McCollum, he'd actually be a really, really interesting fit. You might even be able to potentially keep uh, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram's on. Uh, uh, one of them would probably have to move, but if you move, say, like, I don't, I, I'm just making up a name, like Eric Bledsoe and uh, Jackson Hayes and Kyra Lewis plus picks, that might be enough, David. And then how interesting are the Pelicans with McCollum? The one thing with CJ is you have to make sure you keep or find a solid backup because CJ has gotten hurt. CJ is also relatively small. Um, and not the greatest defender. So there are some great things offensively that he brings to the table, the ability to move without the basketball, of course, his shooting, um, his toughness, 
Uh, he's, he's a good decision maker, all of those things. But he's also been known to get hurt. And like I said, he's a little on the small side defensively. And if the Pelicans have had those struggles at stopping the ball, getting into the paint, you just want to make sure I would fight tooth and nail to keep Nikhil if, if I'm going after CJ. We'll take something else, but I have to keep Nikhil or find a suitable replacement at that two spot because I don't think Josh Hart would be enough defensively to, on the perimeter um, in that case. But offensively, um, yeah, he takes – I mean, certainly, if you had just replaced CJ McCollum, swapped him for Eric Bledsoe last year, then this is a playoff team with no question. Um, so, yeah, I'd make that move, but I, I have to keep Nikhil. I, like, that's the thing I'd fight for in that deal. Uh, I, I want you to follow up on this because obviously Dame is is the focus of this podcast. But of of course, I'm a huge uh, Robert Covington fan, and and I think in a lot of ways he could make the Pelicans really really interesting, not just at the three and four, but also at the five next to Zion. I mean that 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 would make this offense really click the way that it kind of did in Alvin Gentry's off uh, offense with Zion at the five. But see, Jay McCollum seems like a perfect fit next to Lonzo Ball. Uh, like we said, the defense is going to be a problem with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. But as we've seen with the Brooklyn Nets, when your offense is that electric and when you have a coach like Steve Nash at the helm who knows just what buttons to press, it doesn't matter uh, as long as your defense is middling if your offense is that electric. I agree. And my first instinct was when you said, let's get Dame or CJ, whoever ends up here. I actually think Mike D'Antoni would be fun. Right, let's switch the gears and, and go all in on offense, as Joe likes to say in our chat rooms, right? Um, because you have players that are kind of geared towards that, right? Especially your best players. So, yeah, I, I, I personally would love to see CJ here in New Orleans, especially if you can't get Dame and there is some kind of fire sale in Portland. Because you need to pair somebody up with Zion that has the aggression, know-how, and ability um, to be just a flamethrower from the outside. We know that Nikhil has kind of the mentality for it. We know that Ingram kind of has the ability for it, but you need the whole package, right? You just got to be able to be relied upon game after game. And Grubb's right. You do worry about his injury history, but that's why you have a backup plan. That's why you still got to make sure you keep some other good players on the rosters to sustain that hit. But yeah, I think CJ would be just as big of a, almost as big of a dream for me because Let's face it, who else has been bigger than CJ that, you know, the Pelicans have been able to bring in, especially during their peak years, right? I know you mentioned Drew Holiday at the start show, but there really haven't been many. We got Peja towards the end of his career. But, yeah, that would be such a boon just to be able to add a guy like CJ. Okay, I think we've we've covered all of our questions. Thank you so much. Uh, we we got a lot of questions that came in real real fast. I think I posted this uh, early this morning, and within like thirty minutes, we had fifteen questions. So thanks everybody for your support, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, but David, it's it's time to move on because we're we're talking about how the Pelicans are going to get involved potentially in the trade market. Obviously, we have the draft coming up, which is going to be critical, but perhaps more critical than all of this is who's going to be the signal caller because obviously the team needs to compete uh, next year, but most importantly. This head coach, the, the the taste that this whole situation must have left in Brandon Ingram and more importantly, Zion's mouth, has to be a bitter one. How important is this coaching search? And what do you think about Jacques Vaughn and Charles Lee initially? Charles Lee is, is a bit of an enigma to me. I mean, he's highly respected around the league, but um, I just don't know um, if he's ready to take that step over. Um, you know, that that is a big jump a big jump to go from lead assistant or top assistant to head coach. And it's, it's, I don't know if at this stage, if you're saying this is the make or break hire for everyone in this organization, um, if you're going to go with a first time head coach, 
Um, so that makes it hard for me to, to really root for Charles Lee in that regard. The thing about Jacques Vaughn is, yeah, he had a terrible record in Orlando. Um, and I don't think you throw that completely out of the window. But you, you look and you see maturity just the same way as we look at Monty Williams and say he didn't have a, a ton of success in New Orleans. Those inter, inter, um mediary years while he was working on other people's staffs, he learned a lot, and now he's a much better coach. I look at the most recent example for Jacques, and you take that team of, of cast-offs, really, that the, the Nets brought into the bubble. They played as hard as anybody not named the Phoenix Suns. They competed with guys who weren't coming back the next year, who knew they weren't coming back the next year, and they played for Jacques. Um, I think ultimately then the decision to bring him back as the highest-paid assistant at the time before they added the rest of the folks to Nash's staff, you know, it showed that there was some there's respect for him. He just wasn't in the inner circle of Durant, Kyrie, um, Harden, that type of group. That's fine. Um, I think Jock can be successful somewhere else. I just the thing for any coach coming into this New Orleans situation is what are you going to do with your relationship with David Griffin and what are you going to do with your relationship with Zion Williamson? Because you have to figure out how to either work with Griffin or minimize his influence on if you're trying to do something and you had better get Zion in your corner. So that's a very difficult task, I think, for anyone who would be a first-time coach to figure out the politics of navigating those two sides and put a winning product on the court. For sure. Well said. I don't know if Ali can follow up on that. Uh, if anything, I'll, I'll add this to to it, Ali, and you give us your thoughts on this. There are some other candidates that, that we'd like the Pelicans to investigate, whether it be Mike D'Antoni, Jamal Mosley, uh, Becky Hammond. Uh, we've got Darvin Ham. Uh, there, there's another um, assistant in Milwaukee that escapes me right now. Um, obviously, Penny Hardaway is now on Orlando's list. There's There's a lot of other guys out there. And it feels as if right now that the Pelicans are just zeroing in on these two candidates. Do you feel like anyone's been left out that you are desperate for the Pelicans to talk to? I mean, I think we all would have liked to have seen maybe somebody else like a Jamal um, Mosley because he came supposedly close to landing the top job last year. So you wonder why his name hasn't been mentioned yet. So for me, it does feel like this has become a two-man kind of race uh, to get the Pels job. And just to add to what David said, I, I'm not, I can't add anything better regarding Jacques Vaughn, but I will say with Charles Lee, I don't have as many concerns as maybe as many other people do Sim- for the simple fact that I love the situation that he's been in. Um, he's been under, you know, everybody likes to give Bud Boonholz a tough time, but he's been with him now for what, seven years starting in Atlanta, but he's also been surrounded by other good minds, right? Um, other good assistants that have been on his staffs. And I have heard um, Lee speak on a few podcasts I've tried to dig up over this last week and listen to. And this guy feels like he gets it. But my favorite thing about Charles Lee, though, is the fact that he's been in a situation where he has seen and kind of seen the growth of that Milwaukee Bucks team. And who do they have? They have Giannis, who is a paint destroyer. And, and I see the symbolism between Milwaukee's team and what you have here in New Orleans, especially if you stick with that Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson uh, core. I feel that's very, there's a lot of parallels between them and, of course, uh, Middleton and Giannis up in Milwaukee. So those guys, they didn't get off, you know, to a good start. They had a little bit of a rocky ride um, in, in figuring each other out, complimenting each other on the court. And I feel like between that, um, Seeing that for Charles Lee and, of course, also seeing how much work these guys put into their games every day and what motivates them that 
this would be great for Charles to basically to try and, you know, impart some of that knowledge to beyond Zion who clearly need help in that area. Right. Um, not to say that those guys don't work hard, but you have to wonder if they understand what it takes to win in this league. Like it does with some of these proven guys like Giannis and Middleton are now reaching that level. So I think that would be invaluable because let's face it, this league, I think anybody that's even an assistant that's been around for a while can do the job for the most part. That's why they hang around the league. That's why they keep getting jobs. Uh, that's why they always get compliments from those that know them because they're really darn good at their jobs. So I would be splitting hairs because I don't know either one. Um, and I tried to talk to some people that know both. And of course, I heard nothing but positives about both candidates. But Charles Lee, for me, like I said, that situation in Milwaukee and seeing it firsthand is really what I think makes him enticing. And, I, you know, learning between the fact that he's also been a you know Wall Street trader for two years, played overseas for four years, and has garnered all these experience from all sorts of walks of life, I just think would serve well. And think about this. Say Milwaukee wins it all. How big would it be for Charles Lee to come in that locker room wearing a championship ring and then able to tell stories to Zion about Giannis, about Middleton to Ingram while wearing that ring? I think that would mean a lot. That would go a long way. And that would, that sh- if nothing else, that should grab their attention. If it doesn't, well, then you know you have to move on and figure out you know the rest of your roster if you're David Griffith because nothing else is going to change your mind than winning the hardware, right? So if Charles Lee has that, and he's awfully close, and he, I don't think he even needs to get there to prove his point to guys like Zion and, and uh, B.I. But, yeah, for me, like I said, I, I'm just – it's tough to decide between two guys that either have had a rocky um, kind of you know head coaching first gig like uh, Vaughn did with Orlando and then Lee has not had any. But I feel like that's what the Pelicans are kind of stuck between, right? They're not a top destination. I think had they been, I think Ime Yudoka's name would have been thrown around more. And we know that they liked Yudoka last year. Uh, he was mentioned right off the bat this year. But I think they have to settle for a candidate that isn't the top, you know, drawer, just like they didn't get Ty Lu last year. So because they haven't won. But that isn't to say Lee and Vaughn wouldn't be worth, you know, their weight and whatever you want to say. I wouldn't say gold yet, but I, I still think that they're good candidates, but yeah, I, I do press and answer your question fully. I wish there were maybe a few other names because there are some other really good names out there and available, especially when they were connected to the Pels last year, but it sounds like the Pels have made up their minds. They're going to go with either Lee or Vaughn. You've got to think. Uh, one concern we've had, David, that we've talked about in the past is uh, David Griffin overstepping in terms of his relationship with his head coach. Uh, we've seen reports come out that that he wanted Stan Van Gundy to make different choices with his lineups. And by saying that, and also uh, previously in March saying that we don't just bestow minutes, it's it's evident that he has some kind of overreaching hand in terms of what lineups are played, uh, what, what players he wants to see represented on the floor. As we see this coaching search uh, unfold and as the draft approaches in the next four weeks, how important is it to you that the head coach is actually involved in all of this and gets their own unique perspective on the players that they bring in to, to airline, uh, airline drive? I think it's extremely important. Um, you know, the general manager's job is to assemble the talent, and, we, and every coach that has come in has said that. You know, Alvin said it, Stan said it. You know, I just want to do the job of coaching. But I want it, if I'm the coach, I at least want to understand what it is that we're looking for. I, if, if we're saying we want to communicate this clear vision of where we are as an organization, then I want to give you my input on who, who the players that I think fit that. And I want to be able to be at the table 
ultimately, you know, the decision isn't yours. But if there's not a connection there, I'm, I'm the one who has to deal with these employees every day. I'm the one who has to communicate your message to them. So there has to be that connection. And, and we can go back. It's not just this year. It was under um, Alvin as well, where Alvin repeatedly said, I don't get to make those decisions. Ask somebody else about the playing time. You know, we've, we've seen Griffin essentially send messengers to say, take Zion out at this point or do something else. So those things, are that's a two-year pattern. And I don't know if it extends back to Cleveland. We'd have to check. Whoever that coach is, you have to give them some level of autonomy because players know. And if they think that they can go around the coach, that if the coach is not the, the, a, an important voice, not the ultimate, but an important voice in that room, then, then there's no respect for that coach. And I think you have to establish that first and foremost, particularly if you're getting a first-time coach. You really need to make sure that the players understand that there's some authority behind that person. And part of that is being involved in the decision-making process. Now, we've kind of touched on this previously, uh, but I, I want to keep in this theme, Ali, of giving up control as the executive vice president. Uh, David Grubb just spoke very well about how you have to give up some control to your head coach and, and let your head coach have ownership over that process and those relationships with the players. So, too, I think uh, we've we've talked about a superstar-driven league. You have to give up some measure of control to your superstar and give them ownership over this process. How closely do you think that Zion is observing or interacting with this process himself? Hmm. I, I think that he knows exactly what's going on, but I don't think, and they're probably listening to whatever his opinions are, but I don't think um, that he's going to be any kind of a deciding factor. I think in who the next uh, coach is going to be of the Pelicans. He just hasn't been around in the league enough. He isn't familiar enough probably with either candidate. Um, just, just just things in general in the league, right? So, like I said, you, you get a feel for what he's thinking. Um, and like I said, you keep him abreast of everything because that's what happens nowadays. But as far as Zion being kind of any kind of determining factor in who's going to be the next coach, I would, I, I, I just can't foresee that, no. He, he's, he's just not there yet in terms of having the cachet or just the knowledge to where, you, you know, you want to take it under consideration. Uh, Grub, I'm kind of out of practice, but I feel like we've touched on everything for now. We, we've gone through the breaking news with Dame. We've we've addressed CJ McCollum, the head coaching search. Uh, we haven't really talked about the draft pick. Of course, the Pelicans after the lottery, uh, they they stuck straight where they were. It was 60% odds, overwhelming odds of them remaining right at 10. Did you have a reaction to 10? Do you think it's a good spot? Do you imagine the Pelicans trading it attached to Bledsoe? Or, or is there a, a prospect that you think the Pelicans or that you personally might really be eyeing falls to that spot? I'm not attached to that pick at all. Um, unless you are certain that you're going to get someone who's going to start this season or is going to be in your top seven, then I'm shopping that pick to get what I need. Like, this is the time to get what you need. This, if you're going all in. Um, now, there are some very – this is a great draft. I love this draft. But at the same time, I have to look at this from the Pelicans' place in history and where you are. Do you, unless you're going to find that guy who's going to contribute immediately, I think that that pick is just another piece in trying to get something better. Nice, um, Ali. Any any reaction to the tenth pick? And do you, do you have a differing opinion from Grub on that? Uh, again, it always comes down to who who the scouting department really likes. And hey, what the Pelicans are kind of building a history now. We're two years in, and we can go over all their picks, and so far you can clearly say no one's a bust. So, But honestly, 
David's right in a sense, but I also think that you always want to keep the holster loaded. Let's say the Pelicans do make a big move. I think it's going to cost them at least two of the three of Nikhil, Jackson, and Kyra. You got to think they would be gone any kind of big name move because it's not just going to be picks that are going to be sent out. Um, so you got to always keep replenishing that cupboard. And the best way to do, of course, is with young, good uh, talent. So, um, yeah, I and also think if you grab a Dame, then you can expect to have some free agents, some big names want to come here. So then you're not suddenly as dependent on the young guys. So having said that, there are some guys that, you know, we all like, but I particularly circled at number 10, Moses Moody and Franz Wagner. I just think that you need to have three-point shooting and, and you can't get enough of it, especially for this Pelicans team. I, I feel like that Franz Wagner's got something in him to where he, he he's he's going to be a little uh, like a high-end, I guess, role player to where he's not just going to be a, a three-point shooter for you. He's a six foot nine guy. Uh, he moves so well. His defense is incredible for the guy of his height and length. I, I absolutely love it, and, and I would love to see him alongside, say, Bi and uh, Zion if those two remain. Uh, conversely, most Moody, same thing, but he's more of a three and D guy as to where Wagner's got that playmaking ability. But you know, there's also a chance, person we've got to bring up of moving back, right? Like we saw them do with the number four pick that they acquired from the Lakers when they traded Anthony Davis and turned, you know, basically what essentially became DeAndre Hunter into Nikhil and Jackson. And there's some guys late in this draft that I like. And I, I've told you guys, I circled right, right from the start, Chris Duarte. I think he's flying under the radar too much. Yeah, I think he's a great three-point shooter, but he's also a very good defender. Uh, long, long, long-armed uh, guy from Oregon. And he's kind of, you know, proven himself to be, I think he's going to be able to step right in this league and make an imprint. So, yeah, there's some names I definitely like. and But it all goes back to what the Pelicans end up doing. If they don't land any big names or get any big free agents, then you're, you've got to be hesitant, right, about adding another young guy, as David was basically mentioning. But if you don't and you've got, you know, you've added some vets through however means, then you want to keep, like I said, that pipeline going. There's a lot of good names in this draft. Uh, Grub, we've talked about moving back uh, for the 16 and 18 OKC. We've talked about packaging future first, maybe to move up for like a guy like Scotty Barnes. But we haven't talked about this uh, at at 10. Let's say the Pelicans, you know, trade 10 and Eric Bledsoe for, you know, player X, Harrison Barnes. I'm just throwing something out there. What is the likelihood that the Pelicans could move future draft capital to get back into the first round for a guy like Duarte? I would never put that past David Griffin. We've seen that he's willing to to move around within the same draft to get what he wants. And if he can find value later in the first round um, and still get something that he wants by giving up the 10, he'll do that. That's what he did, you know, with the Jackson Hayes and, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker deal um, was to move back to get what he, what he thought was a greater value. So, no, it wouldn't be a shock to me for him to do that. And when you have as much capital as the Pelicans have, and as we've discussed, there is no six you know, five, six years down the road. And David Griffin can't operate anymore as if there's a four, five, six years down the road. So those um, indistinguishable names from 2025 or 2026, you might as well move on them to if you see something you want now because you have to deal with this year and next. This is what you have. You have to make it right, right now. So yeah, Griffin is going, I, I imagine he's going to be extremely aggressive, uh, but not reckless this offseason. All right, Ali. I think we're right at our time. So any closing thoughts that we haven't touched upon? No, I think like you said, we covered everything really well. Um, I'm just going to say that 
David Grubb's first show on 103.7 is later today. Please tune in. What time? Four o'clock to six o'clock central. You can get the 1037 the game app and you can listen to it live there on 1037thegame.com. And tomorrow, our own Chris Connor will be joining me uh, on the show. So uh, folks can tune in for that as well. Right during rush hour. That's amazing. I want to give a shout out to to all of our readers, Max Salmon, GMQ, or listeners, GMK, uh, Joe, B Grizzly, uh, uh, longtime listener, Patrick Riley, also Alex Casey Rogers. Uh, let's see, Patrick Riley again, Hules Junta, uh, Daniel Harris, Waka Waka Wakanda is back with a question. And of course, M Tuma, thank you all so, so much for interacting and for listening. We appreciate it so much. Love having you guys around. And for those of you who joined us in the locker room act, now the uh, Spotify green room app with Chris Connor, uh, for me, I'm Preston. I know we all have to get, uh, out of here. So thank you all for listening. Uh, keep sending us your questions. We might have another podcast even tonight with fish and Kevin. We'll check back to you guys on that. But for now, uh, let's dance and let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.